Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tooth and Claw Podcast. We got our wildlife. This is part two, so you guys, if you're starting here, go back and listen to part one. Stop right now. Go back an episode. Unless we got you, like, skip into the middle of a story. Smart wildlife biologist, Wes Larson. Okay. Our ladies' man producer, Mike Smith, and Wes's brother, Jeff Larson. All right. We got all... I, your new thing is ladies, man, huh? What's up, ladies? <laughs> uh, we got Mike to go to the rodeo. Yeah. Oh, speaking of a, a ladies' man, too, he was wearing the weirdest hat I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, man, that hat's so cool. <laughs> like a, like what you buy your little kid for like his train set. Yeah, a little kid that's really into trains. Yeah. And my favorite was I kind of made fun of you right when you showed up, and then you were like, what if I turn it backwards? And when you turned it, it backwards, so much cooler. it looked like you were wearing like a hat from the 1920s. Yeah, well, I'm just railing against this new trend of people wearing quote-unquote dad hats oh, I love that look like hat. they've been sitting in the corner of a warehouse and been rolled over by a few tires in their day and people are like oh yeah that's what i want to put on my I, head i love a, a dusty muted. little floppy dad hat i love a dad hat so yeah no judgments yeah that's fine it sounds like i'm judging you no I'm not. well he just judged you so you're, know, you fair. got the green light i think you know i think for me like in college and everything the big like flat brim hats were like the really big thing. Oh, yeah. And I just yeah. never, and then trucker hats for a while. In high school, you bent your bill so far yeah. that it was like a full circle yeah. hat yeah. bill. Exactly. And it was always like <laughs> these hat trends that I felt like I had to do, but I never thought looked good when I like actually put the hat on my head. Right. And dad hats are the first hat trend where I was like, I really like how this looks. Like, this is the hat trend I like. That's good. So don't ruin this for me, Mike. If you're happy, I'm happy. I love a hat. What were some of the jokes the clown was saying? He's funny. Oh, yeah. That dude hates his mother-in-law. Hates his (laughs) mother-in-law. Hates his mother-in-law. His wife weighs three times as much as some of those heifers out there. Yeah. (laughs) And then they made fun of, it was really in bad taste. It was The whole night was in poor taste, in my opinion. But yeah, it's just generally making fun of people that the worst part for me was like there was a there's a girl who ran out in between events on her horse and they were just doing like a quick speed run and her horse tripped and she fell and the horse fell too. It was like kind of a shocking moment, actually. And they got up and as they're riding out, he was like, now that little lady's ego might be bruised, but you guys should cheer her on anyways. Her ears are working fine. Yeah, exactly. Give her a round of applause. And so. But then, like, any time any of the cowboys did something wrong, they were like, oh, well, he's a cowboy and a hero. So, yeah. he's, you know, it wasn't ever like his ego's bruised, that poor little guy. You know, yeah. it was very. So it was yeah. just a night full of, like, bad, unfunny, insensitive jokes interrupted briefly by moments of, like, cattle abuse. Yeah. What in my mind is cattle abuse. It really is just not a fun experience for Steers, me. Yeah. I, the the jokes were so bad that they were kind of funny, though. Like, like, there was points where I was just like... My thing with the jokes was, like, I hadn't been to a rodeo in a while. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, these this, like, hasn't changed at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's, like, a little nostalgic. Yeah. Which is a bummer. I heard there, as we were there, they're saying they're redoing the entire rodeo arena, mm. which kind of sucks, because it's been the same arena since we were little kids. This was in Missoula. We're all in Missoula right now. Uh, we decided we wanted part two so bad, we just drove down here to... 
They showed up on my doorstop and they were like, we are not leaving until you give us part two. Right. And I was like, all right. And I just started working on it. I also, the other thing I've been working on is my deck. Mm-hmm. And I, ru- I feel like I kind of ruined it last night. You had a perfecting, perfect bowling. I had a two, perfect score yeah. going into the tenth frame, and, and then I missed you it through two gutter balls. Yeah, I we had this beautiful redwood deck, and we had decided on this stain that we both liked. And I'm kind of anti-stain to begin with, but I had heard that it's going to be good for the deck and everything. So we decided on this kind of darker stain. We tested it. We both liked it. Me and Jesse. But then when I like put a full roller on the deck, I was like, oh, I hate this. But You're it was telling me you don't like that song? It's been a while. Uh, Is that stained? No, that's stained. I forget <laughs> yeah. what music they put out. Not a big fan of him. Aaron Lewis? Is that, that his how name? How do you know his name? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because he sucks. You and him are like that very aligned. We're not. We are not at all aligned. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we don't want to get into politics yeah, on the show. Our bad. Well, anyway, so I ruined my deck last night. And I didn't ruin it. Sorry, that's way too strong. I just don't like it as much now. I hope Jesse likes it. She's out of town. (laughs) So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Toad doesn't. He's oblivious. Toad might guest on the podcast a little bit. Yeah, Toad's here in our fourth chair. He's taking a little nap. Toad's my cat. Mm -hmm. Um, But you might hear him. Sure. We won't edit him out. His voice is important, right? Important? Yeah. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah, third or fourth most important, (laughs) I would say. Yeah. Oh, uh, all right. Well, do you guys got anything else before we get started? Uh, no, we can just get into it. I think. Okay. Yeah, let's go. We'll get into it. I know you all are chomping at the bit, champing at the bit. It's acceptable Either to way it's uh, get into part two of this story. Yeah. Chomping at the swimming body to get into this story. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. So as you guys know, we are on part two of the New Jersey 1916 shark attacks. Last week, we talked about Charles Van Sant and Charles Bruder. Both were tragically killed by a shark while swimming off the Jersey Shore, one in Beach Haven and one in Spring Lake. What happened again? Uh, they were bitten by a shark. Can you tell me like the whole story? Uh, no. <laughs> You'll have to go back to part one to listen to that. But in this part, we're going to talk about some more attacks. I'm using the same sources as last time, mostly relying on 12 Days of Terror a book by Richard G. Fernicola. And then as well, I'm also relying on the book Close to Shore, The Terrifying Shark Attacks of 1916 by Michael Capuzzo. And to be totally honest with you, this week I did rely on Close to Shore quite a bit more. I found that book a bit more kind of intriguing to read because it grabs you a little bit more. And then I will say, like, as I went back then and fact-checked with 12 Days of Terror, I noticed the stories do diverge a number of times. I think there's a fair amount of telephone that's happened with this story Mm -hmm. where people have told their stories and it's just changed over time. So there are some things that may be different from, if you know this story well, there's some things I might report that may be a little bit different from what you've heard. I just, we don't have time to, like, cover all the viewpoints. So mostly this time I'm relying on close to shore. When did it happen again? 1916. Oh, yeah. So you're clear just to say whatever you want. Yeah, can, we can say whatever we yeah. want here. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, they're all dead. Okay. So if you remember from last week, Charles Bruder had just died. A shark attack was launched almost. Sorry. Charles Bruder. A shark attack <laughs> was launched? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. A shark The government. A sh- yeah, this I knew is, it. It's big government <laughs> that had done this. No, a shark hunt was launched almost immediately. 
So there's a lot of fishermen, old timers in these towns. Again, these are like these beach towns have kind of just become these bustling beach towns. So there's still this old way of life that existed, which was mostly just fishing. And a lot of these fishermen and old timers still live there. And they still think that it's unlikely this was a shark. After two. After two. Yeah. Hmm. There's still, though, there's people. Yeah. Turtle, marlin. We'll get to that, actually. But there are people that are now remembering that there was a big shark that had been caught in 1913 in Spring Lake. And when they caught it, they cut it open and they found a woman's shoe in its stomach. And at the time, they were just like, oh, it probably just like ate this while it was floating in the ocean or scavenged it or something. But now they're all kind of like pulling on their shirt collars like, yeah, you know. Uh, they did collect a bunch of money for Bruder's mom who lived in Switzerland. If you remember, that's right. Uh, she was relying on Charles to send her money. Uh, yeah. So they they did collect a lot of money for her, which was so nice. she's happy about it. Yeah, all. she's like, oh yeah, this was worth it. <laughs> um, she's like, hopefully the other one dies in the war so I can get some money from him too. Uh, John Treadwell Nichols came to town with a few of his associates. He's Treadwell? a very, Yeah, Treadwell Whoa. Nichols. Okay. Yeah. Everyone asking for the Treadwell yep, story. You're getting it finally. Here you go. Yeah. The John Treadwell Nichols story. <laughs> you guys have been waiting. I'm delivering. He was a really accomplished and well known theologist, uh, and he had come to inspect the corpse. He wanted to do some interviews, and he also wanted to verify that it actually had been a shark that was responsible. This is, again, very reminiscent of Jaws, like Hooper in the Jaws movie, um, Richard Dreyfuss. He comes to town and he's like trying to figure out what kind of, what does he call him, Squala? Or like, he calls him like by there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the part where the guy's like, what? A what? They did did cut the (laughs) shark open in Jaws though and they found a bunch of stuff. So like the 1913 And he says it's a tiger shark. Uh, In this, in real life, after inspecting the body and learning that Bruder had been pulled underwater several times, Nichols decides that it's most likely an orca, not a shark. A what? (laughs) Orcas are known to pull their prey underwater several times before finally killing them. And Nichols thought that these ragged cuts on Bruder's legs or on his stumps looked like they had been made by big conical teeth like an orca. I mean, they would be like more intimidating. Totally. Without like the context we have now. Right. And they back then they actually had an inkling that orcas didn't attack people mm-hmm. because they didn't they hadn't like recorded it but they saw them as just as ferocious as sharks you know they mm. well yeah. they had an inkling that sharks didn't attack right. people exactly yeah. yeah and they're wrong about that so on july 7th this is a day after charles bruder died the summer beaches of spring lake are completely empty for the first time in recent memory uh the only activity in the water is from boats that are carrying fishermen and shark hunters and they're determined to kill the shark and protect any swimmers. They're dragging freshly butchered lamb carcasses through the water, and then they're ready with like high-powered firearms, dynamite, spears, Whoa. all sorts of stuff to kill the shark. Sounds fun. <laughs> and it's not only the shark hunters that are now taking the situation much more seriously, the newspapers are starting to pay attention too. So that day, the front page headline of the New York Times was Shark Kills Bather Off New Jersey Beach. And the article went on to describe Bruder's injuries in great detail and assert that the shark was still at large. But everyone wasn't convinced. The New York Times had published a letter to the editor the next day from a reader that once again had an alternate theory. And I'm going to read that letter to the editor. Having read with much interest the account of the fatality off Spring Lake, New Jersey, I should like to offer a suggestion somewhat at variance with the shark theory. In my opinion, it is most unlikely that a shark was responsible, and I believe it much more likely that the attack was made by a sea turtle. (laughs) 
I've spent much time at sea and along shore, and have several times seen turtles large enough to inflict just such wounds. These creatures are of vicious disposition, and when annoyed, they're extremely dangerous to approach. It's my idea that Brooder may have disturbed one while it was asleep, or close to the surface. Just such wounds, huh? Yeah. <laughs> His both legs were off. <laughs> yeah. Well, they just—they always just say like the turtle's large enough that it could do that. that... Yeah. This dude lost both of his legs. <laughs> yeah. Are the sharks like not as big as these turtles? He thinks. I don't know. No, they thought sharks were like thirty to forty feet long. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but they is... just thought they like were gumming things. Like they had like no power in their jaws. Nothing is adding up here. It's funny. And it's like okay, you don't think sharks attack people. But, like, why do you think turtles do? Yeah. Imagine your Charles Bruder's, like, ghost floating around, and you've just been killed by this massive great white, and people are like, it's probably a turtle. (laughs) You're just like, damn it. All right. The hunters actually got a shot at a large shark that day near the beach. They saw the fin and everything. They shot at it, but it disappeared, seemingly uninjured. And then people at that point were like, unwilling to get into the water at Spring Lake and everyone was crowding the pool. So they actually had to install a bigger pipe just to keep the pool full because no one's going in the water at this point. Oh, wow. There were a few other close calls with the large shark in the general area. There was a guy in his boat in Asbury Park and he was out and a shark actually charged his boat and he like hit the water with his oars and hit the shark. Oh, yeah. Um, So that one shark told all of his buds. It could be. Or it could be the same shark. We don't know. So Nichols, the ichthyologist, he was the understudy of Frederick Lucas. And Frederick Lucas was essentially like a naturalist slash biologist. He curated a museum, and he was just kind of seen to be the guy when it came to sharks for the time, at least in North America. And he was also much on the record as saying sharks do not attack people in temperate waters. So he was like very much in that thought that sharks are just not dangerous in these waters. And he said, great whites definitely have the potential to kill a man. In fact, they called it the man-eating shark sometimes. Um, But that they were shy and couldn't have inflicted the type of injuries that Bruder had. Like, they thought that when if they were to kill a person, it would just kind of eat the blubber off of them and the flesh off of them. But that it wouldn't be able to, like, separate legs from the body. It was just too shy to eat any more than the blubber. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, again, I think the thing is, is like... Just thinking of whales. A lot, yeah, a lot of their main observations of these sharks Mm. at this point are on whale carcasses. Because they're not really going underwater. They're not, like, seeing stuff underwater. They're only seeing these sharks on the surface. And the only time you'd really ever see a great white is if one was dead or if it was feeding on a whale carcass. Right. So they just really hadn't seen them much. So the previous year, that Ulrich's guy, the millionaire, he was trying to get proof of shark attacks. And while that was happening, the New York Times was also trying to collect stories of shark attacks from places around the world. So even though the common theory in North America is that they don't attack people, the New York Times was getting these stories from around the world. And people in other parts of the world were like, oh yeah, they attack people. (laughs) This is not a harmless animal. So this is a really interesting one from New South Wales, Australia. So that's where Sydney's located. They said, anyone who doubts that sharks in temperate waters do attack human beings will visit Sydney, New South Wales, and his doubts will be speedily resolved. The letter reported the case of a boy dangling his legs off the wharf at Ride on the Parramatta River, which feeds the harbor, when a shark came up, seized a foot, and disappeared with the boy whose body was never seen again. And then the next day, this other guy, Herbert McKenzie, another native of Sydney, Australia, He also sent a letter in that confirmed the details of this first letter. 
And he said, as a native of that beautiful city, I can with authority corroborate the statements and know of others where lives and limbs have been lost as a result of these sea monsters in the beautiful waters of the harbor. And he said, I distinctly remember a young man losing first an arm, then just as rescue was at hand, the entire body disappeared, leaving only a blood path in the water. This happened in Rushcutters Bay. So even though these letters were getting sent to the New York Times saying like, in Australia, these sharks definitely eat and attack people. This guy Lucas, Frederick Lucas, the main shark expert in the area, he remained convinced, just like Nichols, that a shark wasn't the perpetrator and that both the newspapers and the eyewitnesses had it wrong. Oh, man. What if you're wrong about bears? Uh, could be. Yeah, I don't think I am, though. I think we're pretty good these days at, at having a lot of information. Polar bears don't need ice. Yeah. You're just wrong. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> That's definitely not the case. But I do think, like, if you're a good scientist, you do need to realize that no matter what, you could always get proved wrong. Mm. I do think, like, there needs to be that, that like, tiny window, so... You never yeah, know. because how, why did it snow so much in Utah last yeah, year? That's not, Jeff. That's, we're not getting into this. <laughs> All right. So the main point here is that the second attack wasn't being ignored, and both the news and the general public now had sharks on the brain. More and more beaches started installing these wire nets around the swimming areas, so they're like putting in essentially barriers for sharks to try and protect bathers, but a lot of bathers were still preferring just to stay completely out of the ocean. And it now seemed like, to them, the ocean was just full of man-eating sharks. Mm -hmm. But there still were places on the coast where it seemed very safe to swim. And one of those places was Matawan, New Jersey. All right. The second part of this story, again, it's like a hard story, kind of. I think it like really plays on people's fear of sharks. And I think the way these books were written really plays on it. The way my notes are written kind of plays on it because I took it from these books. It's really scary. Like, this is a scary story, and I think it matches kind of what our worst fears are when it comes to sharks. Before we go into it, I just want to, like, note these are extremely rare stories. This isn't something that happens very often. These ones especially are just so outside of the normal behavior of sharks. And on our next episode, we're really going to go into, like, what species this might be, you know, we're, we've been saying it's a great white, but it's possible it's something else. We're going to go into like the conditions that led to these attacks. We're going to talk about attacks in general and how rare they are. I do think it's like probably the scariest animal to be attacked by, you know, I'm doing the quotation marks because you just have no control over the situation. We've talked about that a lot too. But um, just remember guys, like this is an animal. It's just an animal that's doing what comes naturally to it. It doesn't have like a bad motivation. It's not an evil animal. It's not an animal that's trying to hurt people or do anything wrong. It's just an animal. And this one's acting outside of what we normally see with them. So it's scary. But you got to remember that because I don't want people to hate sharks after hearing this story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and like maybe you'll talk about this later, but I was wondering too if they've been like naturally selected a little bit more since these yeah. Just because, like, at this time, it sounds like people are really starting to swim in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So sharks, like, maybe got curious and started eating people. Yeah, and then maybe but they then, learned. But then, like, we retaliate so hard that maybe now they've kind of learned, like, don't attack people. It's possible. It hasn't been that long since then, so it wouldn't be, like, an evolution thing. But it could be, like, a learned behavior, like, oh, we avoid humans now. Yeah. Right. But um, 
when you when you actually look at the rate of shark attacks, they've gone up a lot in recent years. And that's just because so many more people are going in the water. Yeah. And there's so many more people on the planet. And people are a lot braver. People don't cheer for you to just yeah, swim. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Plus more sophisticated avenues of reporting these kinds of stories, I'm sure, exist too yeah, these days. Yeah, totally. But I would say, like, if you have an intense fear of sharks and... You know, that's something that you're having a hard time getting over. Look into those statistics. Look into, like, everything. Do whatever you can to help. Just, like, listen to our other episodes about sharks. But then if it's still there, just don't go in the ocean, you know? Because I do think if once you go in the ocean, just like if you go in the woods, just like if you go, you know, to the Arctic, you're, you are surrendering a little bit of your safety. You are deciding, I'm going to take this tiny little risk because the reward is worth it to me. And to me, it totally is worth it. I love the ocean. I've seen sharks in the ocean. I've seen great whites in the ocean. To me, it's still worth it to go in the ocean. If you look at, sorry, I'm rambling a little bit here, but if you look right now, like at Malibu, uh, there are tons of great whites there. And they, you will see, there are thousands of videos that people have taken from drones of great whites swimming right under surfers or right under swimmers. And there is yet to be... They better leave our celebrities alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope they get some of the celebrities, actually. Yeah, I love those guys. Um, but they're leaving these people alone. And I think for every single one of these times that someone's attacked, there's thousands and thousands of encounters that go unreported because there's no attack and the person doesn't even know that the shark is there. Yeah. So just remember that. And remember to bring your bear spray if you go in the ocean. Uh, no. <laughs> Shark-proof shark shark spray. Yeah, wear your full suit of armor. Yeah. All and, right. And don't watch Sharknado either if or, you're afraid. Because uh, then you'll be afraid on land everywhere. even. I was thinking maybe sh- watch Sharknado every single day until you just become numb to shark oh, like the That's what's kind that of what I did. The, with Jaws? Yeah, just everything. <laughs> what's that... <laughs> Method of therapy called it like exposure therapy. Exposure therapy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just toss them in a tank, like a tank full of sharks, until they get over it. I think that's the best method of. I will safe. say, I think as we've done the podcast, like everything we've talked about, it's given me more confidence to go out and like be in places where those animals exist. I will say, with sharks, it is the one that the stories really stick in my head. And sometimes when I'm in the ocean, they start oh, popping me too. in, especially and I'm like. like- where I'd swim it like late evening, pretty far out. Yeah, in Hawaii, like I'm, not I'm doing probably that. not doing that no. anymore. But it's given me a, a bigger respect for them. It's not like I hate them now. Yeah, I'm just like I know what they can do, and I and like that makes me a little bit more cautious in the ocean. So anyway. You guys know I'm a big fan of Element drink mixes. I often don't drink as much water as I should. And I know that it's really important to stay hydrated, and a big part of staying hydrated is replenishing electrolytes. So Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means there's a lot of salt and no sugar. It has a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Honestly, I'm so into Element at this point that I just drive around with one in my car at all times. Because if I feel myself getting thirsty at all, I'll just pour some in my water bottle and I'm feeling a lot hydrated after I drink it. I truly drink it all the time. I really, really do like Element a lot. It can also help you prevent things like headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness, and a lot of other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. So I do really like this product and right now Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. 
It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com backslash tooth. This deal is only available through this link. You have to go to drinklmnt.com backslash tooth. Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, give it to a friend, and Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. You've got nothing to lose. Okay, so Matawan is roughly 11 miles inland of Asbury Park. So this is like a town that isn't right on the coast. And it's about five miles north of Spring Lake. The town is built on the shores of Matawan Creek. And Matawan Creek is actually a tidal inlet that joins the ocean in Raritan Bay about a mile and a half away. So at its closest to like the actual open ocean, which is Raritan Bay, Matawan is about a mile and a half away. And there's this big tidal inlet that turns into like a creek as it gets to Matawan. Like hmm. it's like 30 feet across. It's not big. But even though this is called a creek, the water's brackish. It's pretty saline, and that's especially true when it's high tide and a lot of water from the ocean floods into this creek. So Matawan's like a lot of other towns in the area in 1916. It's really quaint. There's this beautiful main street that houses a lot of different shops and merchants, and the town used to mostly rely on fishermen and fishing, but now it's starting to change as like industry and whatnot comes to the area. Good thing Montana's never changing, though. (laughs) That is not true. Montana has changed quite a bit. Uh, hardly just so you guys know, Montana's full of scary bears. It's cold. It's smoky all the time. Mm. Bugs. Don't move here. It's awful. Uh, uh, so there's all this industry coming into Matawan. Big part of that is the railways, uh, factories, cars, all these different things are making it so industry can be in a lot more places. And a lot of these people in Matawan are taking advantage of it. And one of the people taking advantage is Stanley Fisher. So Stanley's from Matawan originally. He had moved to Minnesota for a bit where he apprenticed as a tailor. And then on moving back, he opened a shop in town where he was able to sell and produce really high quality suits for men in town. He's only 24 years old. He's six foot two. He's over 20 or he's over 200 pounds. And he's considered the town's like best athlete. He's Hmm. he's famous in town. This is like if you're in a small town, this is like the guy that everyone looks up to. Like yeah. everyone thinks Stanley Fisher's like the coolest guy. He's like the Wes Larson of. That's not true. <laughs> what's the town called? Madawan. Madawan. He's the Wes Larson of Madawan. Uh, he's built like the Jeff Larson though. Mm, nice. Um, he's <laughs> handsome. He's a towhead blonde. He's just really liked by everyone. And the younger boys especially really look up to him, not because he's only like the strongest guy in town, but he's also super nice to them. And he's not above like playing with them and just being really friendly in general. So if this story is going where I think it's going, it seems like these sharks are targeting only dudes hot in guys. life with like hot real good guys. prospects, yeah. like yeah. hot, tall. So far, so, that's the case. But yeah. this may zag a little bit. Okay. So Stanley's having a hard time finding business and his suits that he's selling are really nice and they'd probably sell really well in like Chicago or New York or one of these other coastal seaside towns. But in Matawan, they're not exactly flying out the door. And he's starting to then take out ads in the local paper. He's doing whatever he can to sell them. But he starts to find himself trading goods for his suits. And one trade that he makes is he trades a suit to someone in town for a $10,000 life insurance policy. And at the time, for like a 24-year-old, everyone's like, why? You know, you're like full of life. You're vivacious. All of his friends are like, why would you want life insurance? But he gets this life insurance policy. I hope that doesn't come into play. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> Can you imagine just trading a suit to get insurance? Yeah. Life insurance is I'd pretty cheap, though. Right? I think it is. I mean, there's sure a million works. types. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, especially when you're like, young. Like, if you're, like, 80 years old with cancer, it's not too cheap. That's true. <laughs> yeah. All right. It would probably be super expensive for your mom. She's, yeah. Um, It'd be really hard to collect on that, I think. Okay, so on the afternoon of July 11th, 14-year-old Rennie Carton Jr. meets up with his 13-year-old cousin, Johnson, and the two of them decide to head to the swimming hole on Matawan Creek. Can't laugh at the name Johnson. His name is just Johnson? (laughs) Johnson Carton. His first name's Johnson. Johnson. That's I like. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) Speaking of that, do you guys remember Big Johnson shirts? Did we talk about that already? Mm. When I was in like... Yeah, when I was probably in middle school, yeah. there's these shirts called Big Johnson shirts. And there's just this like dorky, nerdy guy on the shirt and just surrounded by like really voluptuous women. It was like cartoons. Yeah. And they were just like highly sexualized. And the whole idea was this nerdy guy has like a Big Johnson. Yeah, that's funny. And they like really took off in my middle school and they had to outlaw Big Johnson shirts because <laughs> they were them. just, well, they were like pornographic. Yeah, they were pretty right. crazy for middle <laughs> yeah. schoolers to have. <laughs> Look them up. Look up Big Johnson shirts. They're wild. Novelty shirts. It just humor doesn't get much better than that, in my opinion. Big Johnson, Jeff. I'm typing in Big Johnson right now. (laughs) (laughs) So Rennie Carton Jr., he's 14. He's with his cousin Johnson, who's 13. They decide to head to the swimming hole in Matawan Creek. They're cutting through the high marsh grasses, the oak trees. It's this really scenic, nostalgic thing that happens in little towns all across the United States, like kids heading to a swimming hole. You know, it's just like there's nothing more summery than that. And they get to the abandoned Limeworks warehouse, which shelters a perfect little dock and a perfect little cove on Matawan Creek. And it had been a town favorite for generations, and it was a really just great midsummer escape for these boys. A couple of their friends were already there. They're already skinny dipping. That was kind of what you would do. You would just skinny dip. Mm. And so Rennie and Johnson quickly get out of their clothes and they jump in this water. You that know, guy should have switched to making swimming suits instead of that's suits. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. You know Johnson was packing too. That, you know. <laughs> All the other boys were like, wow. <laughs> uh, the shark's in a new environment. It had followed both familiar and unfamiliar scents into the brackish brown-colored water. The high tides of the month had helped it make the journey. The creek, which would usually be a bit too shallow and uncertain for a 10-foot shark, was now essentially indistinguishable from an entrance to the ocean bay, and whether or not the shark entered the creek on accident or on purpose, we'll never know, but it did. There's fish darting all over to the banks of the side of the creek, but they're too small and quick-moving to be of much use to the shark, And with both fish and marine mammals being scarce over the last week, it was starting to get pretty desperate. It was a really highly opportunistic shark and less risk-averse than others that preferred deep swells and shoals of fish offshore. The shark was looking for something more substantial, and as it swam under the bridge in Matawan, it once again picked up a scent. Its fin sliced through the water as it continued to head upstream and into the tighter bends of the creek. So something... With this shark, you know, I've kind of been been kind of fun to bounce back and forth between the perspective of the shark, and I'm doing that because in Jaws that kind of happens too. In a couple of these books, they did that as well. But something that we should think about really quick with this is, in a lot of the stuff I've read, there is a theory that as the shark made its way up this creek, that it maybe had like gotten lost. I was going to say, if you think about it from a shark's perspective, it's not used to being in like such a tight corridor. 
So it's probably just like, I'm not going to turn around until like there's exactly. water to turn around in. That's exactly. So it just kind of keeps going until it opens up. Yeah. yeah and this strange. creek stayed like essentially the same depth throughout. So there wasn't like a cue that it was getting like shallower and it needed to turn around. Hmm. So exactly what Mike just said, like it probably was like, oh, this is weird. There, there's not a way to either side of me. So I'm just going to keep going forward. Yeah. I'd have to do like a five point turn. <laughs> yeah. Like the, <laughs> the Austin Powers on the Zamboni. And, and you know, I think that's probably the theory that I agree with, that this is a shark that essentially moved into the creek and then was like, oh, I don't know where I'm going. But it could be that it was a different type of shark that it was actually quite comfortable in this creek. So we're yeah, going to talk it about that could more. Could have just gone in reverse? <laughs> I don't <laughs> Someone's standing there and they just hear <laughs> beep, beep, beep coming from the water. So Rennie Carton had just jumped into the creek when something large and rough scraped across his narrow chest. So suddenly the water around him turns warm and he realizes the in shark horror. The peeing. <laughs> he realizes in horror that he's bleeding. Uh-oh. Oh, wow. And he starts to scream completely unaware of what had happened you're surprised it wasn't pee (laughs) (laughs) well i'm just surprised that like it was so immediate he jumped in it was like already yeah so we'll get to this so he's unaware of what (laughs) he gotta wait for a little bit to pee you know (laughs) he's unaware of what had torn into him and then suddenly he sees it and in absolute panic he scrambles onto the dock and he points to the area where he had seen this massive fish the other boys climb out of the water and they look at his chest which was bleeding and torn and it looked like he had scraped it on something rough and abrasive, like sandpaper. So the shark hadn't bit him. He had just brushed up against the shark's skin. And if you guys remembered from other episodes, we talked about shark skin. They have what's called denticles, which are these kind of like hook-shaped, backwards-pointing little parts of their skin that are essentially like sandpaper. If you rub your hand on a shark, it feels very rough. That's what whale sharks have, right? Yeah. Like, Yeah, I've been like skin rubbed off by a whale shark tail. Yeah, and it hurts. It hurts. I'm surprised this guy's like bleeding though. Yeah, I mean, it, it like I think he essentially jumped on top of. The I was going to say like the unluckiest cannonball. Maybe yeah, the history. dorsal fin like went through him. Yeah, yeah. You think about like that. A knife. I think so. Yeah, yeah sliced him. <laughs> um, so he's just bleeding from like this abrasion. So he's not really that hurt. It's just a lot of blood. Huh. And Remy tells the boys, or Rennie tells the boys that he had seen something huge in the creek. He said that he thought it was responsible for this wound. But all the other boys have a hard time believing him because, you know, world word has traveled to this point. People are talking about sharks, and these other boys think he's just being paranoid, and he'd probably hit a log or something submerged well, you don't under feel the water. Like you're in the ocean. No, you're in a creek that you've swam in your whole life. Yeah. So the open ocean's like a mile and a half away, and they've fished in this creek. They've swam in this creek. They just don't think that it's a shark. They decide to continue swimming, but Rennie is like... Like right after yeah, this? Yeah, Rennie's like, I'm not going in the water. Luckily for these boys, the shark had left. Didn't it's like impossible to know, yeah. again, like if it felt trapped or whatever, but it left. But if the shark was trapped, it's likely really hungry and really agitated because it feels trapped and then it's also not able to get food. So that's a really bad combo for a shark, especially one that's capable of killing a person. And three people are going to learn that the hard way the very next day on July 12th. So on the morning of July 12th, retired sea captain Thomas Cottrell is walking across this new trolley bridge at the mouth of Matawan Creek when he sees something that stops him in his tracks. He looks out in the water and he sees a large dark gray shape moving up the creek and what he says with a three foot triangular fin sticking up above the water. 
It's pretty high. That's like that's yeah, like it's tall. That's a big <laughs> fin. Cool. Cottrell had heard through the grapevine that Rennie Carton had claimed to have a run-in with a shark the previous day. Like everyone in town, he didn't believe it, but suddenly, like he believes it. He sees the shark. So he's 58 years old and he sprints for town. And 58 back then was much older than 58 is now. Like the book makes it seem like this dude is like on his last legs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sprints for town. He arrives in town. He's like panting. He's like red in the face. And he's an old sea captain. So he's famous for like stories that people kind of saw as tall, tall tales. But he bursts into this barber shop and he says, I saw a shark in the creek. And everyone in the barbershop pretty much is like this guy, you know, and they start laughing. And he's like, no, I swear I saw a shark in the creek. And no one will believe him. So he runs out onto Main Street and he just starts going into shops and telling people that he saw a shark. No one's believing him. Like he's running up and down the street and no one will listen to him. Wow. And he had seen the shark swimming up river. So he knew that people would swim and fish and do all this stuff. And so he finally gives up on trying to get someone to believe him. And he jumps into his boat. And starts like paddling up the the creek. Oh, wow. He's determined to warn anyone in the water that there's a shark coming. Meanwhile, 11-year-old Lester Stillwell is ready for a break. He'd been working in a basket factory all day long. He's hammering and shaping peach baskets. He's working alongside his dad and his 16-year-old brother. And the sweat and grime of working in this factory all day is like starting to build up on him. He'd already earned 75 cents that whole day. So he's ready to not just bad. like be done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you think he's contributing any of that to his 401k? To his no. Wife he's and just kids. giving it to his dad. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but relief's in sight. On hot summer days, the boys in the factory are allowed to take a break and go for a swim, the younger boys. So the shift boss signals that the time's arrived, and Lester looks, Lester looks over at his dad for approval. His dad's working in the same factory. He looks at his son. He nods. He says that he can go. But he pulls him in and he says, be really careful. And the reason he says this is Lester is really frail and he's prone to epilepsy. So he's had fits before where he starts shaking and like his dad's always worried about him whenever he goes in the water. Yeah. And so he tells him to be careful, but he knows that he can't baby him and he sends him off. That's the death flag. Uh, You can't ever show your family affection before they leave. Yeah. This one's hard. Like. Anyway, we'll go you know into how that. Don't look yeah. at them. Just let them go. But the other side of that is when people are like, I wish I would have said, like, yeah, I love you. I'm taking yeah. the chance. I'm never going to tell my kids I love them. <laughs> I don't want to take that chance. <laughs> I will say, like, this, it's weird for me. This happened more than 100 years ago. But uh, again, this one, like, really affected me. Yeah. And I think it's because I was, like, a little smaller than my friends. But I still just, like, really wanted to like prove that I could do everything they could. And this little kid just seems, anyway, we'll get into it more. You just, but. you needed to get out of the peach basket factory. Yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> so tired of working the peach basket factory. So even though Lester's younger and smaller than the other boys that he works and plays with his coworkers, um, <laughs> the swimming hole at Wyckoff dock was like this great equalizer. Because when you get there, you're there with boys from other financial situations, other boys that are like stronger or weaker, older or younger. Everyone's there. Everyone's just having a good time. But they're skinny dipping, so it's not. It's not totally an equalizer. But yeah, I don't right. think they're comparing dinguses. You know they, they are. They um, have to. <laughs> yeah, they might be. So when he gets there, he immediately strips off his clothes. He jumps in. Some of the older boys are already out in the middle of the creek, and they're showing off how good they are at swimming. The shark is becoming more and more desperate. 
This close call with the potential meal the day before was a learning opportunity, so it's not going to be as cautious if it gets another chance. It moves up the creek, it's starting to feel more and more claustrophobic, and it hears the telltale splashing and commotion of something wounded and struggling in the water. Where it had previously been conserving energy in this less-than-perfect environment, it's now moving rapidly through the water toward the vibrations. What it had thought was a struggle was actually play, but it made no difference to the shark. It could see them now, and where some of them had gotten out of the water in time, one was laying on the surface, unmoving and small. Caution wouldn't be necessary for the shark, and it launched forward. Like all boys his age, Lester's just wanting to fit in and impress everyone, so as some of the other boys are climbing out of the water, he's floating on his back, and he calls to them and he says, Boys, watch me float, watch me float, fellas. He turns on his back and he's floating, and for like a skinny kid that's mostly bones, that was actually pretty hard for him, he's struggling to float, but he's smiling and looking up toward the sky, and it would be the last happy perfect thought of his life, when suddenly and violently he's pulled underwater, and blood from his tiny body stains everything red. Oh, crazy. Yeah. The other boys are watching in stunned horror as this black shark appears out of the murky water, speeds across the surface towards Lester. They didn't even have time to scream before it strikes the small boy, turns in the water, shows them its white belly, and then disappears. Then, briefly, they can see Lester in the shark's mouth just above the surface of the water, and it starts shaking its head back and forth, and the water around him turns red, and they both go underwater head first. So, like, his legs kick up in the air. Jeez. Um, they're flailing, and then they all disappear. The shark swooshes its large tail through the water and actually hits one of the other boys and like pins him against the dock for a second hmm. and then it's gone. So they're screaming and they're like too shocked to even know what had just happened to them. Yeah. And they're staring at this quiet water and suddenly Lester pops back up and his eyes are just like wide and he's just screaming bloody murder and flailing his arms around and then he's ripped underwater again. Oh man. So now the boys like their shock breaks and they're all like crying and they just run screaming for town. Yeah. So Main Street Matawan's having a very normal day up to that point. It's just like a quiet Wednesday afternoon when suddenly like half a dozen naked mud-covered boys start running through the street and they're just screaming that their friend had died and that a shark had killed him. And they're quickly surrounded by a crowd. The town constable's there. There's other adults. They're all asking him what had happened. They say Lester had been killed by a shark in the water. And immediately everyone who knows, they all know Lester. They're like, oh, he's epileptic. Like he probably had a fit of epilepsy and drowned. Or something happened that made these boys think, you know, a shark had attacked him. So they're like desperate to get to the water, but they're not necessarily thinking shark. The boys were really upset that no one's believing them, so they head to someone that they knew would believe them. And they enter Royal Taylor's, and Stanley Fisher is sitting there quietly sewing a suit. The boys surround him, and they tell him what had happened. And unlike the other people in town, he kind of believes the boys. So he knows that if Lester's still alive, he's the best person to rescue him. He knows he's the best swimmer in town. He knows he's the strongest. So he puts on his bathing costume and runs out. Wow. Yeah. I like this guy. Yeah. Along the way, he runs into it. Oh, and I should say, in one of the accounts, it was like he just heard the boys yelling in the street, and he went to go help. And the other account, the boys actually talked to him. Just gotcha. so you know. Along the way, Stanley Fisher runs into his friend, George Burlew, who often went by the name Red as well. George is a commercial fisherman, and he also doesn't necessarily believe the boys, but he wants to make sure, so he joins Stanley and the group of boys, and they head for his rowboat. And when they get there to the spot where Lester had vanished there's already a bunch of people there lester's parents are there 
His siblings are there. Like when his parents found out that he was missing, his mom like collapsed in grief. And they just like, they know that their son is probably dead, but they don't necessarily believe that a shark had taken him. Hmm. Um, They're all looking for where he may have drowned or gone missing. And when Stanley gets there, everyone gets a little bit of hope because they're like, Stanley's here. He's our town hero. He's this like perfect boy. He's going to like organize us at least. And he does. He takes this leadership role. And one of the first things they do is they take some weighted chicken wire and they put it downstream. And the whole idea there is that if the boy's body gets washed down, it would get caught by the chicken wire. So it won't be gone. Unfortunately, this may have actually trapped the shark in with them, though, too. Mm. So they start getting in boats and they're pulling the water. They're taking long poles and like pushing through the water, trying to feel maybe a carcass underneath. And they do this for about an hour and they're not getting anything. In some places, it's too deep for the poles to hit the bottom. So Stanley and George get kind of frustrated with this. And joined by this other guy, Arthur Smith, they just dive into the water. And they decide they're just going to find his body by diving. And people are yelling at them. They're saying, hey, there's a shark in here, you know, or at least the boys say there's a shark. And the boys are like, there's a shark in there. Yeah. And these guys don't really care. They're they're diving. They're convinced that Lester probably just drowned and that the shark is just, you know, paranoia. So they're swimming to the deepest part of the center of the creek and making these long dives. And they're struggling into the bottom and they're gasping for breath and they can hardly see anything. And they do this for about 30 minutes and they're ready to give up. So George is swimming back to the dock and Fisher's still out. Stanley Fisher's still out in the water and he's like, I'm going to do one more dive. He dives down and he comes back up and he thought he had seen something on that dive. So George is now back at the dock and Fisher's like, I'm doing one more. And he goes down again. And this time he comes up holding Lester's body. And he says, I got it. And it's just like a chunk at this point. You know, it's not like the whole kid, but he says, I've got it. And the crowd cheers and he starts swimming towards his friend and George starts swimming toward him. And as George is swimming toward him, he feels the shark pass under him. No, really. And he stops swimming and then he looks out and he sees something that's going to give him nightmares the rest of his life. So Stanley Fisher, this kind, seemingly invincible hero of the town is screaming. The shark has him by the thigh and it's shaking him around like he's just nothing. And he's punching it and he's doing everything he can to stop it from biting him. And he's screaming and just nothing is working. And it's spinning him around in the water and just leaving a trail of blood all over. And at this point, there's like dozens of people watching. They're all seeing this happen. So George had swam for shore when he saw this happen. Like he in later, like in an interview, he's like, I turned around and swam like he wanted just to get away from the shark, which, you know, at, at that time, especially like this is just a sea monster to them. They don't. You know, I don't blame him, but somehow he turns around then and looks and he sees Stanley. Once he gets to the dock, he turns around and sees Stanley out in the water and he's still fighting the shark. And somehow he's still holding on to Lester Stillwell's remains as he's fighting the shark. Other men are rowing out to try and help him. They're slapping the water with their oars and Stanley's just about to the bank of the creek when suddenly he screams again and Lester's body is pulled out of his arms and then he's pulled underwater too. Huh. Then he surfaces again, he comes back up for air, and he's struggling for shore. Lester's body is gone, but he finally reaches the bank, and these people haul him out onto shore. And only then did they realize how much trouble he was in. Most of the flesh between the hip and the knee of his right leg had been removed by the shark. Half of his thigh was gone, 
women were fainting, people were vomiting. Like this was like yeah. the worst thing any of them had ever seen or will ever see in their For lives. Sure. Unless they went to the war, I guess, the next year. Mm. Some of those will probably see worse. <laughs> yeah. Until um, one year later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, later when a doctor shows up, he would guess that about 10 pounds of flesh had been removed from his legs. That's wow. Crazy. For me, that's like my entire thigh. A tourniquet supplied, blood continues to gush out, and the townspeople rush to find this doctor. The doctor arrives, he sees that he's lost a lot of blood, the femoral artery is completely severed, and he does his best to treat these wounds. A crazy thing is they thought shark bites were, they thought sharks had venom at the time. Oh. Yeah. Well. So a lot of these doctors were afraid in the stories, they were afraid to actually like touch the bites because they thought there might be venom there and they would die if they got in contact with them. Huh. Just, just wild. That's so weird. Yeah. I wonder how that started. Yeah. Anyways, this doctor then makes what I think is a pretty bad decision. Uh, Stanley's in such bad shape that they're worried that like a bumpy car ride would be bad for him. So he says that he should take the train to the nearest hospital. And the nearest hospital is only 10 miles away, but the train would take like two and a half hours. Yeah, that's too long. <laughs> yeah. So they go and like wait for a train and he's bleeding out. And anyway, that's that's what's happening. That's um, insane. Okay, so while he's headed toward this other hospital, a lot of the townspeople are starting to think about the shark. They're starting to get in boats. They're loaded up again with guns, spears, dynamite. And then Cottrell, that captain that no one had believed when he thought he saw the shark, he gets into his boat and he's going down creek to make sure no one else is in the water. Because at this point, two people have already been attacked by the shark that day. He didn't want anyone else to get attacked. He's a little bit late. Do you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep? I definitely knew that. I have a really hard time sleeping if it gets too hot or if it gets too cold, but I highly recommend that you check out Miracle Maid's bed sheets. They're inspired by NASA and they use silver infused fabrics that make temperature regulation super easy. Also, I do quite a bit of traveling for work. I get to sleep in a lot of different places. A lot of times I sleep in hotels where I'm just really stoked with how good the sheets are. So I'm constantly on the lookout for nice sheets. And I got to say, these Miracle Made sheets are really, really comfortable. And they don't have the high price tag of other luxury brands. And they feel as nice, if not nicer, than a lot of the sheets I've slept in in nice hotels. So go to trymiracle.com tooth to try Miracle Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo TOOTH at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com tooth and use the code TOOTH to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com tooth to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. So Joseph Dunn is visiting Cliffwood for the summer with his brother Michael. Their father worked in New York City for the summer, and they would stay with their mother in the really small, quaint village over the summer. This is about a quarter mile downstream from Matawan, and he's 12 years old. His brother's 14. They're also just like tired of the heat. They decide to go to a little dock behind the New Jersey Brick Company for a swim, and they have their friend Jerry with them. They hadn't heard anything about Lester, anything about Stanley. The only thing on their minds at this point is cooling off in the creek. It's about 4 p.m. 
They're playing in the water when suddenly a man appears on the side of the dock and he's like, hey, there's a shark in the water. You know, like you guys got to get out of the water. There's a killer shark in there. And I was just thinking, like, imagine if you're just playing in some water that's like salty. So there's potential there's a shark and someone shows up and they're like, a shark just killed two people. Like, you got to get out of the water. I'd be so scared if I was that age. Like, (laughs) I think I would just be a flash of like trying to get out of the water. Yeah. But at the same time, I just, I don't blame anyone for being like, no, no, there's not a shark in this room. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, people probably made up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, couldn't, yeah. They're like, there's a hydra in there. Yeah. And it's Uh, venomous. Yeah. Well, luckily, these boys believed him. So, Jerry and Michael, the older boys, they're really close to the dock. They swim as fast as they can to get out. And they're out of the water pretty quickly. Joseph was a little bit further out, but he reaches the dock pretty quick as well. He's just to get, about to get out like his foot is on the rung when the shark grabs him by the left leg and pulls him out into the water. No, no way. God, so it, kidding like, they interviewed his friend, Jerry, and he said they knew he was right behind him and they turn around and they saw him like 10 feet out in the water and then they saw him get pulled under. So he starts screaming. He pops back up. He's screaming. His brother... His friend, the stunned man that had come to help them, are all just watching him get attacked by the shark. But right as this was happening, Cottrell, the captain that no one believed, and another guy in a boat had just rounded the corner. And they saw the kid like splashing in the water and the shark's fin and stuff. And the other guy in the boat was this guy, Jacob Lefferts. He's 34 years old. He's a prominent businessman in Matawan. And he immediately jumps in the water and starts swimming toward the shark. And at the same time, his brother, Michael, the 14-year-old, also jumps in the water and starts swimming toward the shark. And they get to Joseph around the same time. They pull him by the arms. They're pulling him to the dock. Right as they're about to get him out of the water, the shark bites into Joseph one more time on his left leg. Mm. And he says it felt like a pair of scissors was trying to cut his leg off. They managed, like, the shark readjusts its bite, and as as it does, they manage yeah. to pull him away, and they throw him up on shore. That last bite, though, unfortunately, was the most devastating. It, it pulled a lot of the flesh away from the area around his knee. Um, but as they pull him onto the dock, they look at his leg. They see that he's bleeding pretty bad. They're not going to be able to stop his bleeding on their own. So they put him in Cottrell's boat. And he speeds away toward this like group of people that had just tried to help Stanley Fisher. So they're like ready to help another shark attack. <laughs> sure. That's amazing. Um, he gets to them and he's like, hey, we got another one essentially. You know? Yeah. And the doctor starts to look at Joseph's wounds. And again, he thinks that this is actually a new doctor that's on scene now. And again, he thinks that sharks are venomous. So he's really worried to touch the wounds. But he does his best to like put on a tourniquet, bandage him up. And this time they feel like he would be able to survive a car ride, luckily for him. So they put him in a car and send him to the hospital. And he actually does make a full recovery, but he is fully conscious when he's about to go to the hospital and a press guy shows up. And the, <laughs> the guy from the press is like, what happened? You know, and I want to read an excerpt from the book because this kid seems pretty cool. Like he's wide awake and like his legs been ripped apart by the shark. But this guy from the from the newspaper shows up and he says, Will you tell me your full name? And he's just sitting on the ground and he says, I should say not, replied the usually polite youngster. You would tell my mother. The astounded reporter asked, where do you live? In New York City, but I won't tell you which street. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pretty much like he was just worried that his parents were going to find out. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, So he wouldn't tell this guy. Anyway, 
He ends up making a full recovery, but he does have to stay in the hospital for like months before he makes a recovery. So like he kept all both his legs. He's fine to like get up yeah, and walk and all that. That was another That's thing awesome. that was like reported differently. Some people report that his leg was amputated, but I'm pretty sure he kept it. Um, Good. But I do think it probably affected his gait the rest of his life. All right. So Stanley Fisher had been conscious when he reached the hospital Around 6.30 that night, it was nearly a two-hour journey for him to get from the shore to the hospital. He told the surgeons on the operating table that he had seen the shark when he dove down for Lester's body. It was rolling on top of Lester's body, and at first he thought it was just a big log that was rolling over him, but then he realized it was the shark ripping off chunks of flesh. Uh, And he wrestled Lester's body away from the shark. Whoa. And ultimately, that was probably what cost him his life. Sure. Because he pulled the food away from the shark. Yeah. He died five minutes later from blood loss. Man. So when Stanley Fisher's death reached the town not much later, they all mourned their local hero, but also the death of one of their children. It's the darkest day in the town's history, an event that would become part of their future history forever, pretty much. Like, this is still, there's murals of sharks in Matawan. There's, like... It's part of what they're known for in Matawan. It didn't take long for grief to turn to anger. And the men and the women of the town really wanted to see this shark dead. A hunt would be launched, and even the President of the United States would be involved in the coming weeks. Hmm. That's going to be next time on part three. Uh, Cliffhanger again. again. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this, honestly, this one was like exhausting for me in a lot of ways. Sure. I think like the story's really long to begin with, but it's just it's just rough. A lot of people who had a lot to live for. Yeah. Like right. there wasn't a this, there wasn't a single like feeble old man that was attacked by the shark that was like, yeah. "Oh, finally a romantic death." You know? Like these are young men that lost a lot. And Joseph Dunn, the crazy thing for me in these shark attacks that lasted 12 days in total, there was four deaths and one injury, you know? Uh, one person that survived in four deaths. And that's very unlike what you would expect from shark attacks. Like most people don't die from shark attacks. I think great whites, which are definitely the most devastating of all of the sharks when they attack a person, I think it's somewhere around a third of those attacks end up in fatalities. So to have five attacks and four of them die is pretty crazy. And a big part of that, again, is because of the times. I think if this happened, if these three happened today, Joseph Dunn, again, is surviving. He survived back then. But I think Stanley Fisher is surviving, too. Uh, yeah. Almost for sure he's surviving, actually. Yeah. Lester Stillwell is dying still. That's someone that just, that shark wanted to eat him. And it's kind of like when we did our first Great White episode, we did the little mini story about the woman in Australia that went swimming and a predatory Great White attacked her, and she was just killed in front of her family. If it's a, if it's a predatory shark, your chances go way down. I wonder how you feel if you're that one guy, I forget his name, but he literally just jumped onto a shark in the river and got out of it. Oh, the little kid. You know? Yeah. That, like the, the day before. The 14-year-old kid, Rennie, yeah, Rennie. Rennie Cartland. Yeah. I wonder if there's any kind of like, I don't know, survivor's guilt's like a, a weird burden to place on anyone. Yeah. I mean, we, I guess we'll never know, but like, I can't imagine how that would affect you for the rest of your life. Yeah. I'm sure he had close. like nightmares the rest of his life. Well, yeah. you know what I thought was crazy was with Lester. How he like told everyone to look at him. He's like, watch me, guys. I know. I know. And like got everyone's attention and then was like, 
floating on the surface doing a of the pretty water. dumb trick, and they're like, <laughs> "All right, yeah. like whatever." And then it's he, like, wait, <laughs> yeah. like it's just crazy that like he called for everyone's attention right before it happened. Totally, yeah. Honestly, like that part was legitimately heartbreaking for me. Just thinking yeah. of, I just feel like a eleven-year-old boy is just like one of the most kind of like innocent things, you know. And it's just like this little kid who's smaller than all of his friends and he just wants to impress him. And he's working in like a peach factory, beach basket factory his whole life. And he just lives for these little dips in the river. And he's just like having this perfect little summer experience when a shark kills him. It reminds me a bit when I was about that age, um, we were at some cousin's house in La Cunata and they had like a hill behind their wall that like, I don't know, the... The wall in their backyard was like five feet high, but to the hill in the backyard is like two feet high. So I was like back behind the wall and I had in my mind that I was going to like run, take a step on the wall, jump into the yard and somersault. Yeah. So I like got all my cousin's attention and I was like, (laughs) hey guys, watch this. I sprint up at the wall and like slip, hit my shin on the bricks and then oh fall like head first into a like rose bush like thorns <laughs> yeah and everyone's like <laughs> like yeah that was something to watch uh-huh. <laughs> like what were you trying to do but like thanks uh, for yeah telling us to watch that is really funny but <laughs> the thing the thing is just like the, when you tell someone to watch this and then like yeah it's it it's goes not what you were planning. The, well, this was probably much more thing. impressive than anything he <laughs> yeah, was planning. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's, again, like, I think this story, especially these parts where, like, people are just about to get out of the water and the shark comes back and grabs them again. This is so unlike any other shark attack story that I've read. Mm. Um, it does, sometimes I feel like, oh, should I be challenging this more? You know, is this actually what happened? But unfortunately, like, the only accounts we have are from these books which are from people that lived a long time ago and writ- like wrote stuff down maybe in a way that it didn't actually happen who knows like who's to say if it did happen this way it is really scary and i don't blame people for like getting pretty worked up about all these attacks like this for would sure. seem like you were being just ravaged by a sea monster yeah it still doesn't make sense to me that like someone would just be openly bleeding that much from just like landing on a shark yeah i think it like when he landed on it it swam past him and like rubbed up against him yeah so it just like i mean there it's a lot of yeah but i know what you're saying apparently he got bandaged up though according to all the reports yeah just rubbed his nipples off probably no more nipples yeah that's tough yeah they called him old rennie no nipples for the rest of his life uh wasn't who was the guy was it kyle xy didn't have nipples a belly button Oh, that's right. I never saw that. <laughs> anyway, I do think I think in the next episode, I hope you guys will all join us for the third episode because I really want to go into the science of shark attacks, the hunt for the shark afterward, a lot of things, whether or not this was a great white. We're going to talk a lot about kind of the fallout from this, how it changed our perception of sharks. But just know, you know, uh, never mind. Um, just know what? Just know that. This isn't an animal that has any kind of bad motivations toward us. This isn't like, it's not like the shark was like, I'm going to kill some people. You know, it was just taking advantage of opportunities that came its way. Yeah. Right. I just don't want anyone to not like sharks because of these stories. That's all sure. I'm getting at. No, it's important to say. Yeah. The sharks are just, they're so cool. They're amazing. All right. So we're going to do our ouchies. Uh, we have three, 
Well, we kind of have four different ouchies. Yeah. We'll start with Rennie Cartland, who was the kid that had the sandpaper ouchie. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving him a one because I don't believe him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How do is one the lowest or can we go to zero? No, I'm giving one's him the lowest. One. I'm going to give him a two. I've also like brushed up against a whale shark and it, it hurt quite a bit for a while afterward. It really stings. Because you get all the salt water. Jeff, he's getting salt water in it. <laughs> True. Uh, there's no sand up in that river, though, I would imagine, right? I think there probably was, but yeah, I don't think he got sand in it. Uh, so he's not getting very high ouchies from us. Yep. The next would be Lester Stillwell, the kid that got eaten by the shark. Man. I wouldn't just give him a six. Because it was so quick. I guess he came up once. He came up screaming and yeah. flailing. So it did get, take, not, it wasn't instant, but it was pretty fast. I'm giving it a nine. I just like the horror of being a little boy attacked by a shark, even though it was so quick. I just can't imagine what that would have been like. And then to get like ripped apart, I'm giving him a nine. Yeah, I'm I'm having a hard one separating pain from tragedy in this one, because like the tragedy of the situation is like off the charts, you know, but the actual experience itself, probably you probably didn't feel any pain. It was quick. And that's like, it seems almost heartless to say, like to put it that way, but it could have been worse, I feel. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to go eight. Okay. I feel it was worse on the next one. Right. Yeah. So Stanley Fisher, the rescuer for Lester Stillwell, he had to survive a few hours before he bled out. Yeah. Um, Again, though, he didn't report any real pain when he came up on shore even. Oh, really? But he, he did ask the doctor, like, how much did I lose in my leg? Because I think he was really worried about just the rest He's of his a life. Tough guy. Sure. He is tough. I'm actually I'm gonna do less than Lester Stillwell for him, even though that may not make sense to you guys. I just think the psychological horror wasn't the same for him as it was for Lester. Sure. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna give him an eight. I'll give him a nine. Okay. For having to wait so long and ride the train. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine, imagine yeah. queuing up in line for a train Well, ticket? I guess the train operators were like, We'll make sure the train doesn't stop on the way but still you would just think like if you as you're waiting the car, for dude. the train to arrive right. and you're just bleeding out looking out the window and a tree is just like slowly passing by your window yeah. you're like well, can we like the, take just waited though like, i know this yeah. shark venom is just pumping yeah. through your veins <laughs> yeah i imagine like because he was with other people that were like escorting him to the hospital as they just waited for an hour for this train to show up i wonder what they were talking about like what they were doing you know yeah Again, I'm going to bring in some maybe unrelated criteria into this one. Uh-huh. But the fact that he kind of instigated the attack by like wrestling with the shark yeah. almost makes me want to be like, I'm going eight with this. It's terrible, awful tragedy, but like it's kind of a weird move to he, have made. Yeah. You know? He obviously didn't understand what they were capable of. I think sure. he just viewed it as a big fish, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, this fish can't. Right. I'm, I'm staying. Right. Stan the man. Yeah. All right. And then our last, Joseph Dunn, the. 12-year-old boy who almost lost his leg. He's to got the, shark. the biggest mental one for me. I would me. agree with that. Although he seems like he's really tough. Like yeah. even right after it wasn't really mentally affecting him that much. Yeah. It reminded me of the Simpsons. What's the guy who like the the mafia guy who just didn't want to give up any oh, information? Something Tommy. He's like, yeah. I'm not telling you nothing. Yeah. Tight lips <laughs> Tommy. I Tight lips Tommy. Yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah. I do live in New York, but that's all you get yeah. from me. <laughs> <laughs> um I think that's his name. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a six. I think I'll go six as well. Yeah, let's go six six six. Okay. I'm gonna go seven. 
Oh, I'm well, sorry. Ruined I ruined it. it. I think having your calf like turned to ribbons, like they described it, that sucks. Sure. He spent two months in the hospital recovering too. I'm giving him an eight. I forgot about the two months. I'll go seven so we can do that joke. Okay, Jeff, six. <laughs> what's the joke? Uh, why did seven eat nine? No, that's not the joke. <laughs> All right. Okay. Tooth and Claw is brought to you by Rocket Money. Rocket Money saved me so much money on subscriptions. The only thing that saved me more money on subscriptions was just losing my wallet last week and everything got canceled from that as well. But Rocket Money, I was so surprised at how many subscriptions I had, how many that I just forgot about because I'm normally pretty smart and on top of that stuff, but a few of them just sneak in there. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. No more long-time holds or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does all the work for you. I've had a few listeners write in that told me that they've used it. Every single one of them, I ask them right away, did it save you money? They always answer, yes, I was surprised how much it saved me. And most of them say, I'm also really surprised at how well it helps me manage my money every month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash claw. That's rocketmoney.com slash claw. All lowercase. We are brought to you by Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because, well, honestly, I like fast food way too much. Taco Bell, In-N-Out, McDonald's, I'm there all the time. So I know that my body needs more nutrients and vitamins and just healthy stuff. And this is honestly the laziest, most effective way that I can get those in my body. I love the way it tastes. It's super easy and I look forward to it every morning. You're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Which I looked up the definition of a while back. But now I don't remember what adaptogens are. AG1 supports better sleep quality and recovery. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com tooth, all lowercase, Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash tooth to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. So again, next week we'll be going over a lot of different stuff, but this is the 12 days of terror. These are the five attacks that made up the 12 days of terror in 1916 when either a shark or multiple sharks really changed the way that we view sharks in the United States. And we're going to talk about that next week. All right. Great. Let's get to our categories. Let's do it. So first category there, in my mind, there's this whole genre of movies that I like to call kids with flashlights movies. I heard that somewhere, so I didn't make that up, but it's essentially a movie where there's a bunch of kids or a TV show. There's a bunch of kids like trying to solve a mystery or going on some journey where they're like bonded together and they have flashlights. So what's your favorite kids with flashlights movie or tv show the one i've seen most recently for the first time at least uh, it's a great i like this genre category uh, i'm gonna go with summer of 84 though 
Oh, I like that movie. Yeah, it's yeah. a few years old at this point, and it's about um, some neighborhood kids who start suspecting that one of their neighbors is a serial killer. Yeah. And, like, no one will believe him because it's just, like, a bunch of, like, ragamuffins, you yeah. know, out on the streets with their bikes. But it was really affecting. I thought the ending of that the movie ending was so good. So, yeah, affecting. I don't want to spoil yeah. anything. Me and but... I saw it at Sundance. Oh, yeah, did you? We loved it. Uh, so yeah, we had awesome. no idea what we're getting into, but it's fun. That's it's great. Good. I'll go next. I I'm gonna say Stranger Thing Stranger Things season four. <laughs> yeah. I just like it was my favorite season of that show. I felt like it's like the one where they finally like nailed the mythology and you feel like this like big bad has a motivation and like a purpose and it just made sense to me. Up until that point I was kinda like I really liked the show, but I didn't really understand like why. Like why are there these things attacking them and why are they scary? Yeah. And in season four, it really started to make sense, and I really liked it. So I actually rewatched that season, even I liked it so much. Wow. So I'm going to say Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Strangest. Strangest. Yeah. Strangest Things is coming yeah. next. The Strangest Thing, because it's the last one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was going to be mine. So I'll audible. Let's go E.T. Oh, that's a good mm-hmm. one. That's yeah. probably the, yeah. one of the originals. Uh, Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Drew Barrymore. Yeah. One of her first performances. Mm-hmm. I there's this tweet I always think of. This guy was like, "I'll tell you one thing: if me and my friends had found ET, we'd have beaten him, beaten him with hammers. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, or baseball bats. I can't remember what he said. Anyway, I do Next think some other guy. like movies that fit this category are like It, The Goonies, Super Eight. I like the book It a lot more. I like the first movie a lot. No, have you read It? Yeah. The end? Oh, where they all have an orgy, these kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't believe they didn't put that in the Or movies. just the space turtle. Yeah, the space turtle. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's the weirdest book I've ever read. We'll move on to our next category. A thing that scarred you most as a kid. We got some scarred kids here, some kids that have to deal with watching their, ki- their friend die in front of them. Mm-hmm. What's something that scarred you guys for your lives? One for me was like scream one was on tv uh-huh and like you and cyrus were old enough to watch it i guess yeah so like you guys were all watching it and mom and dad told me to go to bed and i went and hid around the corner and watched for like another half hour mm-hmm. and i was getting so scared and then like they caught me and sent me to bed so then i never got any resolution from it yeah and I was like sprinting from my bathroom to my bedroom every night because I was so afraid of scream yeah. being there. <laughs> Ghostface. I was trying to, hard to come up with something that wasn't a movie. And the one that came to mind was seeing my brother Nate fall off our friend's porch and break his arm. It was like the second story oh, porch. Yeah. And it was like the first time I was like, um, like physical injury manifested itself in my life in that kind of a way. Yeah. Um, but as far as movies go, I always wanted my dad to rent the movie, the old Davy Crockett movie. Uh-huh. And at the end of it, spoiler alert for the Alamo, uh, he die, he loses. They yeah. like the good quote unquote, the good guys die at the end. And that was the first, again, the first time I was like, good guys can l- lose. Yeah. That is frustrating when you're a kid and that happens. Yeah. But like, I loved that movie all the way up till then. So when the very end scene, it doesn't even like show him die. It like pans up to like the Texas flag waving or something. Um, but I would leave. I had left huh. the room every time. I never would have guessed that was going to be your answer in a million years. It's weird. It's the funny. Alamo. Your brother found off the porch one. Once when I was really young, I was like watching Dragon Ball Z and I was like obsessed. And they'd been building up one stupid <laughs> fight for like four episodes, how they do it, you know? And this 
kid at the park had like fallen off a swing set or something and he came over his mom like rushed him to our house i was the only one home for some reason and he had like a completely dislocated arm with like his mm. elbow and his like pointed the wrong way yeah and she was like hey we need help where's your parents and i was like they're not here She's like, can I use your phone? I was like, yeah. And I just like <laughs> let him in and sat back down on the couch and kept watching TV. The Dragon Ball like, Z, yeah. Didn't phase me at all that this kid's <laughs> arm was like completely sideways. <laughs> and you were like my babysitter. Oh, okay. And you got home and there's just like oh, five yeah, fire that. trucks in front of the I was house. So scared. And you were oh, just yeah. like, yeah. wait. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> you guys... couldn't make it half an hour without yeah. me? Yeah. Do you ever watch that old MTV show Scarred or whatever yeah. it was where it's just like people dislocating it was body terrible parts. Yeah. i can't believe people could watch it that. was it was hosted by the guy from papa roach papa roach the What's lead singer name? i forget jacoby shaddix that's it man you're so good with those names <laughs> um God. anyway right. yeah go for so yours. yeah I'm, I'm like two for two on <laughs> terrible <laughs> front front man new bands. metal bands okay um <laughs> so mine was actually like at the park as well there's this older kid he's probably like late teens and mm. i was like maybe I don't know, 11 or 12. And he's playing on the basketball court over there. And the basketball hoops had metal nets. Like Make they were the chain. Best sound. Yeah, it made a great sound, but they're chain nets. And this kid, they weren't like regulation size either. I think they were a little low. And this kid was able to dunk and he was dunking. And as he dunked, his hand caught on one of these chains and it ripped his hand completely open as he came down. Oh my God. And I remember like seeing the inside of his hand and all his tendons and bones and shit. And just being like, whoa, this is unlike anything I've ever seen or imagined in my life. And it really messed with me. Also, Gremlins 2, just the trailers for Gremlins 2 on TV. <laughs> Were they scary? Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's the goofiest, stupidest movie. And mom and dad should have just let me watch it. It's so good. Though. Yeah. <laughs> because I wouldn't have been scared had I watched it. But the yeah. trailer scared the shit out of me. All right. So now your next, our next category is your all-time favorite swimming hole. I'll go first. I live currently right by mine. Uh, it's this little swimming it's hole your all-time favorite. at Lolo Creek. I think it's my all-time favorite swimming hole. I just love it. It's like such a nice little dip. I say we go after we're done recording, take a little Ooh. dip. Mm, should yeah. we just pause and go in? Yeah, we can just pause and come <laughs> back. Yeah. Um, that's my all-time favorite swimming hole, Lolo Creek. Mine is in Gypsum, Colorado. And it's this little, I don't even, it's the river that runs through Glenwood Canyon, whatever that river is. Um, but it's a really calm spot just outside of town uh, to the west. And it's just such like a nice place to go. Just leave school a little early or something some days and like all the cool kids would smoke and stuff. <laughs> just yeah. like one of those it places, cool. you know. But yeah, I, I just have really, really fond memories of that place. Cool. Uh, mine's probably John's Root. Yeah. Outside of Missoula. It's the Blackfoot like, River. Yeah. It's got like some cliffs to jump off. It's got like a beach, which is super rare in Montana. Yeah. And then the cliffs are like nice because you got different sizes for different ages. Even though I feel like I went off the highest when I was like six. That's yeah. part of having older brothers. I forced I you just to do it. Like yeah. <laughs> would yeah. do what you guys did way too early. Uh huh. Oh, Mike, you remember? We went off them, and you were like, you want to just do a gainer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I that was, was like, the place? Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and we just... <laughs> and oh, it's just man. like a 30-foot cliff for my first ever gainer. That was Sweet. dumb. I didn't know that, I think that, that I was did, your first right. time. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Solid. All right. Uh, next category. Something overrated about being a kid. 
I'm going to go f- very specific for my childhood. That's fine. I thought you said 12 years old. That's fine. I did, and then I changed it to just being a quick kid, oh, but dude. 12 counts. Yeah. Yeah. Dodge Neons. <laughs> okay. It's a good pick. <laughs> yeah. I thought they, like, my list of favorite cars were, like, number three, a Corvette, number two, a Dodge Viper, and number one, a Dodge Neon. Oh, wow, number yeah. four for you was a Saturn, too. Strong. You also like love Saturn. But, like, you remember, like, on road trips, I'd just be, like, whenever we saw oh, a Dodge yeah. Neon, I'd be, like, wake me up. I want to see yeah, it. Like and I'd be so excited Dominic about it. Dominic Toretto. I still have no idea why I liked, like, I think they were colorful. I can't remember. Neon <laughs> is a cool word. It yeah. is 12, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, that was my favorite car as a 12-year-old. That's a good pick. They're overrated. Yeah. <laughs> for me as a 12-year-old. Sure. Uh, mine is, so... All the movie theaters and places around when I turned from 12 to 13, the adult age was 13. And we all thought it was like such a cool rite of passage to turn 13 and then start having to pay more for things. That was cool (laughs) to us for some reason. In retrospect, not cool. It sucks that we started to, you know, double our rates to just go see a movie and stuff. Also, I said the cool kids smoked at that water hole. Smoking is overrated for all you youngins listening out there. Don't do it. The losers Overrated just for kids. Yeah, yeah, but when you're, you're an adult, adult it makes you look it. cool. Yeah, just, <laughs> all right. Uh, five at a time. The thing I picked is kind of on trend with what you said. I just think the main, like the biggest thing for me that was overrated when you're a kid is growing up. Like you think that it's going to be the best. And I think there is a period where it is. And then like once you have real responsibilities and, you know, you have to be an adult. I think there's some great freedoms that come with it but the time that i've probably felt the most carefree in my life was as a kid for sure you know yeah i you know what i watched the other day i watched um dazed and confused and like the part where they get out of school it just made me think man there is no truer joy than when school let out for the last time in the like in may or june when you're a kid and you just know you have three months of summer ahead of you yeah i don't think any of us ever will feel that happy again in our entire lives Anyway, I guess maybe if you have a kid or something, who knows? But <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to do the Anaconda scale. It's oh, been a while. Yeah. Let's We're going to do it for Stanley Fisher, mm. uh, the rescuer. Mm. Would be rescuer. Hmm. Yeah. It's got to be Owen Wilson. To See, me. that's what I thought too, but I'm not sure. Brave and stupid. Yeah. But I, I put like Toehead Blonde. What he knew when he knew it. Again, like you were saying earlier, Jeff, like we didn't know exactly, or maybe it was Wes. One of you guys kind of put me in line, but it's like 80% brave, 20% stupid in my mind. Like even if you don't know what that huge fish is capable of, like maybe don't. And as we have learned, like usually a rescuer is enough to stop a shark from an attack. That's true. So yeah, he didn't technically do something wrong. For me, it's just how long they spent trying to do it. Whereas, like, this kid's obviously dead at this point. There's yeah. no. Well, and, like, I haven't seen Anaconda in forever. So, I'm, <laughs> yeah. like, the characters are maybe different in my mind than actuality. But I feel like Owen Wilson didn't really know what those snakes. Like, some of the people knew those snakes were super dangerous. Yeah. And I don't think Owen he... did. Yeah, but he he did kind of take a turn toward the bad side right before he dies. He joins John Voight and like helps kidnap his girlfriend and stuff. Who did we decide uh, is the heroic figure? So is that J Lo now? I for this one, yeah. So J-Lo I'm gonna go J Lo with Owen Wilson's hair. Okay. You know who I'm picking? It's kind of a left field pick. Uh the guy that Eric Stoltz plays his character, oh, the yeah, sure. the like scientist. 
because he goes into the water to free the propellers and then he gets that catfish in his lungs or whatever, <laughs> you know, and they cut a yeah. hole in his lungs or in his throat. What's that called? A tracheotomy? Oh, yeah. yeah John Blake just like goes for it. Yeah. But he like always had good motivations. He was kind of the golden boy. John Voight knew that he was like his main competition, so he had to eliminate him. So for me, he's kind of the best. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah, Stanley yeah. Fisher. Okay, so we're also going to do what would Mike and Jeff do? Let's say you get to the creek. Everyone's looking for Lester Stillwell's body. What are you guys doing at that point? Well, like if I'm Stanley and I see a shark eating his body, I'm swimming away. You're getting out of there. Yeah. All right. He's dead. Like I know. So you're nice not doing closure CPR. to find remains for the family. Mm-hmm. I'll wait for that a little bit later. Yeah, let the chicken wire do its work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd like to think I would be the old sea captain that hops in his boat, like relatively a safe place to be, and goes yeah. up and down trying to warn people. That's you don't what think I think. That guy should have cannonballed a shark when he saw it <laughs> no. swimming under the bridge. For the Rennie, first time. Rennie was the opposite of what I would do. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe the sea captain was big enough. To like, I don't know. What about if I'm the kid whose ankle got bit? What are you doing if you're the brother? I'm swimming the big for brother. You. I'm helping you're jumping you. in. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. nice. without a doubt, they did the right thing. With I was that. pretty annoying at that age. I'm helping you though. Okay, I do the thing Sanji does at Arlong Park when he blows into the shark's gills. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a good move. I think <laughs> they that can't would work. breathe underwater yeah. <laughs> if you breathe air into their gills exactly. too much. All right, yeah. so just so for what you actually should do, <laughs> obviously, if you're in a place where a shark may have attacked someone. If it's really murky water like it was here and the shark's potentially still in the water, if you can't see that person, if they're not, if they're like, you can't obviously help them, don't get in the water. Like if you're ever around a shark that may be feeding and it's murky water, stay out of the water. That's like one of the number one things with shark attacks again is avoidance. And one of the things you should always look for are whether or not there's a feeding opportunity for sharks. So if there's like sea lions Marine mammals, a dead whale, anything around, lots of fish, even dolphins we've learned can be a sign that there's sharks in the area. And also you want to look for murky water. And in this case, both of those things were there. Plus people were saying a shark had just attacked someone. Yeah. So the main thing here is just not getting in that water. So you say that's one of the number one things we should do. One of the first things. Yeah. What are the <laughs> other number one things? <laughs> I know. It's been a long time. No, let's get into right. that. So Jeff, do you have a random animal fact for us? Yeah. I might even want to do a full subscription episode on these guys because this fact's so crazy. Okay. Dung beetles use the Milky Way as a compass to help them roll out dung balls in organized routes. They take snapshots of the stars to create mental maps while dancing on top of the dung balls. How would they ever what? prove that? That's from NPR. Huh. I'm curious for us to look into that more for your subscription episode, because I'm yeah. really curious how they would test that. And like, just so everyone knows, these are just Reddit headlines that I clipped. Okay. So it's from NPR. I haven't verified it. Take this with a grain of salt. I think that's it's amazing probably that's true. true. Yeah, but they can that's, take it with a grain of salt. It's NPR. So. That's like pretty good. It's a pretty good right. source. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that be is. wrong about stuff about bears, though, too. So you just never know. Right. Yeah. Uh, should we go to listener questions? Yeah, let's do some listener questions. All right. We got some subscriber questions we want to do. Uh, the first one's from Megan, and they ask, My ex used to play a game with his coworkers while they were all on headsets working in a theater. Stage crew. The game was, what would you rather have in your butt? So, Jeff, you're 
<laughs> you've this lived a life in preparation one. for this. <laughs> so my question for y'all is, what would you rather have in your butt? A baby bird or a small handful of bees? <laughs> Assuming none of the animals would actually die, but could sting, peck, etc. Definitely the bird. Yeah. <laughs> like it's pretty yeah. easily the bird. Without yeah. a doubt. Maybe if it was like an adult bird. Even I would then, have though, to you, think about it. I just it. feel like you just have to like clench your butt enough to kill that one bird. Yeah. Instead of like a handful of bees. <laughs> handful so of that? bees, that's Kegels? like 13 bees. Yeah, sure. Whose hand? Yeah. Um, a baby's hand, two bees. Yeah, what the, about those bees that don't sting? Like bumblebees might kind of be yeah. kind of nice. I'll take the bees, maybe not. But I just kind of like the pain of it. You just want to sting in your butt. It would be like it would be like I'm thinking. Which will I enjoy more? True. (laughs) With the bees, they're kind of like buzzing and vibrating around in there. I'm I'm not saying I'll take the bees. I'm just saying I can understand why someone would. (laughs) All right, I'm taking the bird. I'm taking the bees. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked myself into it. Okay, next question. This one's from Katie. You three are out for a walk. Uh, not sure how you might got it, got Mike outside, but it's a patron question. Indulge us. You realize you're in the perfect mood for ice cream, just as the toasty, caramely scent of freshly pressed waffle cones wafts your way, heralding the presence of a gourmet ice cream shop. I like the way this is written. Yeah. The proprietor recognizes you as the famous hosts of Tooth and Claw. Wow. That'd be a shock. And yes. offers you anything you like on the house. Unlimited flavors, toppings, etc. What is your perfect ice cream sundae? Oh, wow. I think mine, I really like like a buttery, caramely, like like a pecan or something ice cream. So I'm, one, I'm doing one scoop that that has like some like crunchy toffee bits in it too. And then my second scoop is going to be something chocolate based because I also like a chocolate ice cream. And then I'm doing, I, I, I'm a real simple guy when it comes to a sundae. I just want like some hot fudge, maybe mm-hmm. a little caramel too. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I do like, I'm agreeing with Wes on the bottom, like a caramely vanilla thing. The waffle cone's huge because that's what drew me in there in the first yeah, place. I like do a want good a waffle smelling cone. waffle cone. Yeah. Like right. once you get that smell, you gotta have a cone. This reminds me that I owe yeah. you guys ice cream. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then on top, I think I'd want chocolate with peanut butter, but I don't want. I want the peanut butter like fresh, like warm, not frozen peanut butter. Right. You love chocolate and peanut butter. Oh, yeah, babe. I actually like my Sundays to have just a base vanilla ice cream. I like I like giving, you know, who knows when you're going to run into like the Pablo Picasso of ice cream Sundays. Yeah. You just want to give them a blank canvas to start on and work yeah. their magic. But it's going to have a ton of caramel on it. It's going to have some crumbled up walnuts. I love walnuts. And... I really do like incorporating some kind of fruit. And I know banana is the obvious choice, so it's like a banana split. But I think banana and vanilla ice cream is just like a match made in heaven. So I, I do think vanilla is a flavor, though. It's not like it's just base. That's true. You know? Yeah. All right. But like it is, it leaves the largest it does. spectrum of options. Exactly. Okay. Next question uh, from Feral Cat. Would Wes fight a 1,000-pound centipede or 1,000 pounds of centipedes? Let's all answer it. Okay. Uh, for me, it's a thousand pounds of centipedes. A thousand pound centipede is. It's not even to like me. I'm just squashing centipedes in my thousand pounds. And they can't really ever do anything no. to you. The no. thousand pounds. They're not could. Yeah. If the, if those thousand pounds of centipedes were like working as one unit, then I'd probably rather fight the big one. So I just have to kill one. 
but they're not working as one unit. They're I all doing think their own if thing. They're u- working as one unit, I still take that. Okay. I think I'd take the big one actually, because all you have to do is uh, get Shoot chopped it. the head, chop the head off. Well, you need kill it, one gun. If you killed it, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. If you killed it, you'd probably be famous. You could like Hold take it, it to a museum oh, yeah. and say, "Hey, look True. what I killed." That's my. Or if you tamed it, you could ride it. Right. That's what Stanley Fisher ride wanted. it around like the Fremen in Fame Dune. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have a, a Apple? This so we're trying to get some Apple subscribers questions in here too. Just message us. Yeah. yeah, and let us know that you're a subscriber from Apple, part of the Grizz Club. Okay. I think we've talked about this before, but it's not. It's for you, Wes. Okay. okay. Uh, so this is from Kate. And they ask, if you have a fire at camp, would that keep bears away or draw them in? Uh, If your fire is, if there's no food that was cooked in it, it's not going to draw them in. It's not really going to keep them away either. I think the like extra light and whatnot from a fire might make it a little bit more cautious. But it's not like like a fire is going to stop them from coming in. So So put out your fires when you go to bed. Yeah, forest fire you don't want to start a forest fire. Yeah, it's yeah. not It's not like going to be a foolproof protection, so don't think it is. All right, so let's move to Instagram questions. Let's do it. From Ryan Brown, Brown Zone. Uh, now we're talking. Which members of the Ryan. fellowship has the best max bench press? Jeff, this is a question for you. <laughs> I This is not my world. You can't say which one would bench the most uh, from yeah. the fellowship? It's Gimli. Oh, oh yeah. you're right. His short, it his is short stocky arms. And the helpful. dwarves are famous for being yeah. crazy strong. It's got to be Gimli. Yeah. Just, I was kind of thinking legless because everything looks so light around him. Right. Yeah, and, he, and he's an elf, so he is really strong too. Or Aragorn because he's a Numa, like he's from Numenor. He isn't from Numenor, but he's a descendant. Yeah. So Gandalf can use magic. magic. Yeah. I'm still can. saying Gimli, though. I think Gimli's the best answer. Gollum's got that. It's not Gollum. Loincloth. <laughs> yeah. All right. Definitely not Gollum. Dude, I might just take. Can I take Saruman? He's not part of the fellowship. <laughs> All right. I think. Connor S. Or Connor Shaw's. If a whale swallows me whole perfectly, do you think I can live inside of it like in the movies? What movies? Yeah. Like Noah? What's his name? The whale guy. Jonah. Jonah. Uh, Veggie Tales Jonah. <laughs> There's probably One Piece. That's true. Yeah, whale yeah, Pinocchio, for a while. Pinocchio too. Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I uh, no, it. I think you could survive for a little bit, but not long. I think like a minute. Yeah, like until you drown. <laughs> or yeah, yeah. yeah. asphyxiate. Yeah. Um, oh, Curry, if all three of you were stuck on an island, how would each one of you react? What decision? Uh, like each of us are stuck together or on yeah, our own? Like a, yeah, I think we're together. Okay. I think I'd probably like naturally try and take a leadership role. Hmm. But I would kill you and eat you. Yeah, I think. you'd probably we go if you wanted we to. Would, we would like talk behind your back you'd get then tired if you're being our leader. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think I, I think Mike would just be like, oh, whatever, same old shit, I guess, <laughs> and just like lay under a tree. No, Mike would be like after like two weeks, like this is the happiest I've ever yeah. been in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're just like starving to death. Yeah. I like, really <laughs> see myself thriving <laughs> eventually in that environment. Yeah, yeah um, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I've... Probably go look for coconuts. Yeah, right I away. think you'd be good at finding food and problem solving. I'd go yeah. Yeah, yeah. just wander around. So you'd get some fish out of the ocean. Yeah. Walk around the whole island just to make sure there's not like a boat or it's full of snakes. On one of those aptitude tests I took in uh, college, 
the number one job it thought I would be best suited for was floral arranger. So I'd probably get some like flowers huh. and stuff. What do you think? Decorate do you, do our you living agree space. With that? Do you think you'd be a good flora, florist? Floral I think I arranger. would be, yeah. but I have no reason to think that other huh. than this test that told me I should be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Try it out. Yeah, putting flowers in places. Just go to a shop and see what you can put yeah. together. Let, I think I'll mine, be, let me honestly, cook is what I'd say. When I was a kid, I think mine said I should be a cop. So mine is oh, wow. way off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adventures of keychain bait. It keeps going, but it cut off. Which animal would you rather have fight Rudy Gobert? I don't mind Rudy Gobert, <laughs> so I want him to fight something that would be interesting, but neither of them are going to get that hurt. It's like a humpback whale. So you could just go up and punch it a few times and then walk <laughs> away, and the humpback whale wouldn't care at all. Huh, yeah. They're both fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll put them against the tiger. <laughs> you hate Rudy Gobert. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I'd put him up against a timber wolf. See how that plays out. <laughs> See if he's yeah, actually exactly. worthy. That's yeah. a good one. E.B. Larson, do you think we shouldn't feed b- birds as well, specifically hummingbirds? No. You know, I think it is like kind of a gray area. Like I put suet feeders out for my birds. I think the main thing is if you're going to feed birds, try and give them something they could naturally find in their environment. And then also don't create any attractants for non-native wildlife. So like, or wildlife that could potentially be dangerous. So if you live in a place where there's black bears or grizzly bears, don't leave bird feeders out. Or if you're like feeding something that's thriving because of the food you're giving it that isn't supposed to be there, then you shouldn't have bird feeders out either. I wonder about mine a little bit because like, so like a year ago, I found this really hot bird seed and I only bought it because I liked the sizes of seed in there and then I later realized it's pretty hot it just keeps and then away, i like, right? tried it and it was so hot yeah like, like the spicy seeds, yeah. like spicy what the heck but these birds like think it's cocaine dude they're like going <laughs> crazy so then like i was bought it for like four straight months and it's just like i have six slots in my bird feeder and at 24 7 there's six birds and then <laughs> on it or like probably like eight because there's some waiting for their turn yeah and then they stopped selling it and i got some and it slowed way down but it was like kind of nice because i wasn't spending all my money on bird food <laughs> yeah. yeah and then i just found the hot one again and put it in uh, and they cleaned it out in like 10 hours that's wow. amazing <laughs> the reason like the- is this like good for them to have like <laughs> spicy <laughs> the reason they have that is it's because squirrels don't like it. Well, birds love it. Yeah. yeah. So birds will still eat it, but squirrels won't. So that's all I squirrel idea. tried to get it, but he couldn't get in there, little yeah. bastard. It's good that he didn't get it, because it actually can be really bad for them. They mm. should make a movie out of the guy who invented the spicy bird seed. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the new movies hot they cheeto do. Guy. Oh. Yeah. All right. Should we... Uh, Coach Travis Roberts. This We got to ask this one. Okay. All right. Which Powerpuff girl are you? I don't know the Powerpuff girls. <laughs> oh. I never watched uh, the green it. one. Green one. Yeah. That's Wes, you gotta go red or blue. Uh, why? You guys both. You're the leader, green. so you'll I'm be what's green. the pink one? Red. Yeah. Whatever. Bubbles is blue. So yeah, that's I'll be bu- easily. Right. I've never seen it. Green kind of got like a sour puss attitude, but at the end of the day, she's always You're happy to glad be I there. asked that. I'm so glad. Yeah. Uh, and then one more. Peachar pitch. <laughs> sure. Most embarrassing story at the gym. Do you guys have any? I always get, there's been a few times where I've gone where I just like didn't have the energy at all. I feel like I got on the treadmill and just like ran for like 
0.1 mile yeah and yeah. just gave up and left <laughs> like no one really cares but i was just embarrassed with myself i think when i first started going i'd wear like cut off jean shorts <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. someone one day was like that's your gym outfit like i saw a friend there yeah and i was like yeah you're right i probably should wear something else <laughs> yeah uh i i don't know i don't really have any there's one guy that i see at the gym every day that just walks for hours at a time I've never seen someone walk quite as fast as him. So like when he's passing you on the outside on the on the track, it's a little emasculating. He's like a hundred years old and he's just cruising. I mean, I went to the YMCA all the time as a little kid to play basketball and play in the pool. And like I probably looked at the old dudes in the locker room for way too long, just being surprised that they were completely naked. Yeah, I guess that's embarrassing. I feel like there's a better word <laughs> that's for that. Just like growing <laughs> but, up. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to. We're gonna skip conservation corner. We talked about it last week. We're gonna talk about it next week. Let's just um, let's give one sentence. You know, sharks, sharks are, are in, in a trouble. lot of trouble. Let's a lot protect more, them. They're they're at a much higher danger from us than we are from them by yeah. like multitudes of thousands. Don't eat so, shark fins. Yeah. Yes. All right. But we will talk about it more next week. Okay, and then I want to do our claw ratings again, but this is going to be the claw rating you would have given a great white shark when you were 12 years old. So for me, it remains the same. This was an animal I was obsessed with as a kid. Probably liked him more as a kid than I do now even. So it's a 10, 10 claw still. Same. Yeah. Thinking about it, they might have even been higher on my list than even my third favorite animal. But, you know, top three still. What easily. are your top three again? Tiger, killer whale. Alligator. <laughs> great white. alligators four okay yeah All great right. whites three yeah i'd probably have it high, like nine now it's 15 but it's just i didn't know as many animals back then it's yeah. not that i like it any less okay all right well thanks everyone for listening to part two we'll be right back with part three even though all the attacks are over in this story, I'm going to talk about some other stuff that well, was going on. Don't tell them that. We want them to listen. Well, there's going to be other. Trust me, there'll still be plenty of good stuff. Um, we're going to talk about some attacks that happened uh, later because, you know, I think it's good just to have the context of what happened after all this. And we're going to talk about everything I talked about earlier. I'm not going to repeat myself. But stay tuned for part three. Uh, we love you guys. Thanks for listening so far. Can't wait. If you need more, subscribe to our Patreon or our Apple Grizz Club. Because yep. guess what we're going to do? A Jaws review. Oh, baby. Yes. Oh, baby. We're watching it together tonight. It's some of our favorite movies. Some of us, it's our favorite movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> movies. I don't know. I'm tired. But we are going to talk about Jaws. So we're really excited for that. And I It's going to be, be a really good fun. episode, everyone. Yeah. So get in there. All right. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Love you.